Well, if you're new here, I'm Pastor Rob. Pastor Neil has been gracious enough to allow me to teach today. So we are in the book of Luke, which we have been in with Pastor Neil, but I'm going to take a little different turn. Most people at this time of the year, they start thinking about ways to improve, right? Especially after Christmas. I don't know about you, but my wife started baking in Thanksgiving, and I've had something sweet every night for a month. (laughs) And so one of my goals is to cut down on the sweets and increase exercise, right? I want to improve that. Well, what about in your spiritual life? Is there an area in your spiritual life that you think, boy, if I could just improve in this area... If I was to ask maybe nine out of ten of you, I think most of you would probably say prayer. I wish I just had a better, I don't know, maybe more fruitful prayer life. A well-known theologian, his name is D.A. Carson, he says, if you want to embarrass the average Christian, ask them about their prayer life. And I came across a study at a a well-known conservative theological seminary, and And they wanted to survey those attending seminary how their prayer life was. And so they didn't just survey everyone. They focused on kind of the cream of the crop. They focused on those that were planning to go on a foreign mission field. These are are like the the special ops in Christianity, right? So they they interviewed a hundred different of these um, seminarians planning to go on the mission field. Out of those hundred, only six said that they pray every day. And of those six, most of them said they pray about five to ten minutes. If we're honest, if I was to say, hey, show me your hands. Who got up this morning and spent time with the Lord praying and asking for his direction? I think most of us would struggle in answering yes to that. But prayer is vital to our Christian life. Most of us, if we were to say, well, why don't I pray? Some of us might say, well, maybe it's a self-discipline problem, right? I I struggle just like I struggle not to eat the sweets. I struggle with just getting up and, and praying. Maybe others might say it's the experience of prayer. Whenever I, you know, go to pray, my mind starts to wander. Or maybe I even bow my head and boom, I'm out like a light, you know, whatever. Or maybe others might just say that you don't really know what prayer does. You know, sometimes you pray and God answers. Sometimes you pray and... I'm still waiting. And maybe other times you don't pray and boom, something you wanted happens anyway. And you think, well, what does prayer do anyway? Well, Luke, where we're at today, he, he talks about prayer more than any other New Testament writer. Nine different prayers are recorded in Luke and seven of them are specific to him. I don't think prayer, though, is a discipline problem. I don't think the lack of prayer is because we don't understand it. I think the lack of prayer is we don't understand the gospel. I think the Bible would teach us is that we have a lack of understanding of our great need, our own depravity, and our great need of a God who wants to give generously to us. And much of the reason we don't pray is I think we're still struggling with what does it really mean to have a God that so wants us to come into his presence that prayer becomes almost second nature like breathing to us. Well, in the book that we're in today in Luke, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what's interesting is the way that Jesus answers their requests, he outlines a model prayer. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. 
And this outline that he outlines for us is going to teach us how we should pray. But I think even more than that, it may also help us understand maybe why we don't. So we're in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Luke 11, 1 through 13. Let's read that together. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he shall answer and say, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot give, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give, get up and give you anything because he is your friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and he will give you as much as you need. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how should we pray? The first thing that we see is that we should pray with reverence to a loving Father. We are to respectfully pray to our loving Heavenly Daddy. The disciples go to Jesus here and they say, Lord, will you teach us to pray like John teaches his disciples? Now, I I find that interesting because if I was one of the disciples in Jesus' day, I'd probably go up and say, Lord, would you teach me how to do those miracles? (laughs) Lord, would you teach me how to gather a crowd like you do? But no, they go right to prayer. And I think the reason for that is because they see The works that Jesus did, whenever he did them before, what was he doing? He was praying. And they say that they see that there is a connection here between prayer and the ministry of God. And so they go to him and they say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And there's one word that sets the context for this model prayer that Jesus shares with them. And that word is father, father. In the Greek, the word is pater, but in in. Aramaic, the word is Abba. Now, all of us have, most of us have heard this before, but that word Abba designates intimacy. It designates having an intimate relationship with a loving, caring father. I got to tell you, this probably just blew the disciples' minds. There's a well-known theologian, he's from Germany, his name is Joachim Aramaeus. And the Germans, they, when they do theology, man, they, they break apart every word, every little jot and tittle. This guy went all the way back in history before Jesus, and then he went after Jesus. He even looked at, at non-biblical writings to find out, was there anywhere that anybody spoke about God as a loving father? And it's not. Only here is where it begins. This idea as God, as a loving father... 
God was always viewed as a powerful, distant deity to be reckoned with or appeased. Now, why is that? Because without the gospel, that's exactly what it is. Without the fact that God came and rescued us, He is a God to be reckoned with. He is a God that needs to be appeased. But He has broken through and saved us. When you understand the gospel, when you understand what God has done, it drives us to prayer. So this concept of a heavenly Father that loves me drives us to our knees. The way we view God matters and it affects our prayer life. The gospel clarifies two major concepts. First, how we view God and second, how we view ourselves, right? And we need to be careful of kind of these extremes in the gospel. One is you can have a very high view of God where he's kind of other and distant, right? He cares very little about us. He, you know, basically he's way out there and I got to keep working to somehow appease this God. The other extreme would be God's my bud. doesn't matter what I do. He's okay with me. We're good. Right? We have these two extremes sometimes. But the gospel brings the balance. We also have extremes with man. Man's basically good. It doesn't matter, man. There is no sin. I'm cool. Or the other is, I am a worm. God hates me. How will I ever be good enough for him? The gospel again brings in the balance so that we see God rightly and we see ourselves rightly. And this prayer that Jesus prays with the disciples that he shows them and the following parables, they reveal this balanced view. So the structure of prayer here in Luke 11, it first focuses on man, I mean on God, and then it focuses on man. It first focuses on God and then on man. Look at verse 2, it says, Father. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. It begins with this focus on God as our Father. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. Now, the same prayer is also in Matthew 6, but this is an abbreviated version in Luke. What's left out here is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and the reason it's left out is not because it's not important. I believe it's left out because if, if God's kingdom come, his will is going to be done. I think it's assumed here. The key to effective prayer is to understand that both God is a loving Father, but also that He's holy. It's that balanced view of both. And so he begins here with, hallowed be thy name. Now this is not a statement of fact here. He's not saying, okay, God is holy, although He is. This is actually a command. He is saying, I want you to hallow God's name. To give him the rightful worship, to put him in the right place in your life. God is first. It's his will you want done, not your own. It's his desires you want to do, not your own. Hallow his name. The name of God is who he is, Yahweh. This is why the Jews never would actually write out the name of God. They'd always change it because it was so holy. But it represents here when he says, hallow his name, that we live our lives for him, for his name, not our own, for his purposes, not our own. And the main focus should always be on him first. So we want to hallow his name. We shouldn't have this attitude. Hey, God, I've got this issue. And I hope that maybe you can just go ahead and take care of this issue my way and my time, the way I want it. 
That's not an effective prayer. We say, Lord, you will. Lord, I want to hallow your name. So show me, is this something that you want me to do? Is, is this something that you want me to pray for? Is this okay? We approach God hallowing his name in prayer. We begin understanding that we have this loving father. And then we honor him with the way that we approach him. And then also, we pray for the kingdom to come. Now, the kingdom to come is in the future tense. This is, there is going to be a day when Christ will establish a kingdom here on earth and he's going to reign as king for a thousand years. And so our prayer here is, Lord, would you come? There's an anxiousness in this. As a matter of fact, when we look at, at the first century Christians, they were expecting the Lord to come at any moment. There's an anticipation, an expectation, and in our prayer we should have that anticipation. But there's also a reality of the kingdom present now. There is the power of the kingdom in the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a change that's taken place in your life because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation. You are now a member of the kingdom. You are his servant. You are his child. And because of that, that affects our prayer life. It affects our will. Instead of just trying to pray for my will, I redirect it. And I pray, Lord, I want your will. Because I'm part of your kingdom. You're first. And I want to honor you with my life. It also demands commitment. As a member of his kingdom, we are committed to kingdom work and to our Lord, because he is Lord. And also, we want to pursue the kingdom above all else. I want to pursue what honors God with my life. And so I pray to that end. So that's an upward prayer, right? It's focused on God. And once we first focused on God, then we shift. And Jesus says, now I want you to focus horizontally or outward and focus on your needs. So we begin upward with God. And then Jesus says in verses 3 and 4, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This, this section right here deals both with the physical and with the spiritual. He first begins with the physical, our daily bread. I love this because the Lord is concerned with our daily needs. I mean, we here in America, we kind of struggle with this a little bit because I don't know how many of you pray today to have breakfast. In a third world country, you do. You say, Lord, am I going to eat today? But for us, we have other needs maybe, and God is concerned about those. And so he wants us to go to him for what we need today as well as tomorrow. He's concerned with the physical. We have needs and he knows it. And because he's a loving father, because he cares for us, he wants us to approach him in prayer and say, Lord, I've got some things going on and I need your help today. We begin our day asking him for those needs. These are the physical needs. So we focus upward on the Lord. We focus outward on our needs. But we also need to focus inward. There are things spiritually that can affect us in our walk with God and our prayer life. We're not supposed to, though, take this prayer and then mimic it. You know, just I don't know if any of you came from a denomination or whatever where you did that regularly. But this is what Jesus said. He says, when you're praying, this is in Matthew six, when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows your need before you ask them. This is a model prayer. 
We're to begin praying by honoring God with, with a focus on Him. And then we need to focus on the things that we have a need for. And then we need to focus on our heart, on the inward things. And so what Jesus says here, He says, And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. When you understand the gospel, you understand that you are forgiven, but also that we need to forgive. Right? You know, I was recently talking to a friend about forgiveness because this friend of mine, he was terribly abused as a child. Terribly. And I was shocked because I didn't know the, the extent of this. And he was sharing with me that when he was young, that literally his dad was a drug addict and his dad used to cut him with a knife. And he had nightmares until his mid-30s of his dad chasing after him with a knife. Terrible dreams. And then he was telling me a story. He was actually sent away from his house when he was just really young. And he had to live with all kinds of aunts and uncles. And he never felt loved or appreciated. And when he was 12, one of his aunts kicked him out of the house. And he literally, it was at 5 o'clock and it was getting dark. And, but he knew his, where his real mother lived. And he went to his real mother's house and he knocked on the door and she answered the door and he said, I've got nowhere to go. And she said, I can't help you. And she shut the door. And I asked him, I said, how did you forgive them? And you know what he said? The Lord. The Lord. He said, I realized how much God has forgiven me. And when I realized how distant I was from God because of my own sin, he goes, I was able myself to look at them and say, I can forgive them because they're in bondage in sin. You understand? So God is telling us here, forgive. And this is a hard one, isn't it? Because when you don't, when you don't forgive, it's bitterness. And bitterness is a sin. And not only does it separate us from God, but it makes it very difficult for us in the Christian life to just minister to people. And so what he's saying here is forgive as believers, it affects us spiritually and we need to focus on forgiveness. Because forgiveness, if you don't forgive, it turns into bitterness and that affects our own soul. It can also affect the health of the church and it also affects your witness to a watching world, doesn't it? But when you forgive, it frees you. This man is free. He no longer has this bitterness towards his parents. He's able to minister to other peoples effectively, and he is a dynamic witness. Forgiveness. But Jesus also focuses on temptation. And he says, lead us not into temptation. The first thing I thought about temptation was, well, God doesn't, right? Now, we know in the Bible it says that God cannot be tempted, and he does not tempt anyone. It tells us that in James. But we need to be honest with temptation because we as people live in this, a fleshly body, and we're tempted. And so he's saying, lead us not into temptation. In other words, Lord, help me. Give me the power to resist. Give me the strength to not give in to my fleshly desires. Help me with temptation. Most of us know 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond the temptation, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. God wants to help you in the areas of struggle of temptation, but he wants us to do what? Pray. 
This model prayer is great. But what do we got to do? We actually have to pray. God is calling us to come to him. And this brings us right back to the original point. We have a father who loves us. We have access to a father that says, come. The doors are blown wide. Come in. Now, I don't know about you. Can anybody here just go and walk in and talk to the president of the United States? The most influential, most powerful man, right? I mean, he's got bodyguards everywhere. None of us can just go in and say, hey, Perez, what's going on, right? doesn't happen. But I guarantee you, at night when he's in bed, if one of his daughters gets up, either Malia or Sasha, and they walk in and say, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Would you get me a glass of water? Do you think maybe the president might just get out of bed and get him a glass of water? I bet you he would. Why is that? Because he's their father. We have a father in heaven who loves us. And he's not like an earthly father. He's a father that's perfect. And he has called us to come to him. Is he holy? Yes. So we reverence him. But is he loving? Yes. And we come to him. That's the first thing we see is that we should go with reverence to our heavenly father in prayer. The second thing we see is that we should pray with persistence to our faithful friend. We should persistently plead with God with the expectation that he's going to respond. We can come to him and come to him and come to him again. And as a matter of fact, he wants us to look at verses five through ten. And he said to them, suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say, hey, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he shall answer and say, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because he is because of his persistence, he will get up, get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. So Jesus gives a model prayer, right? It's upward, it's outward, it's inward. And then he shifts and he gives them this parable. Now there's a reason for this because a couple things were not answered in the model prayer. One is how often, Lord, should we pray? And also what should our attitude be? So what he does now is he begins to focus on how often should we pray and how often does he say all the time we are to be persistently praying. We are, we are to be what I call shameless in prayer. We can go to God at any time in any way with any request because we have a loving father that wants to hear our request. The gospel has brought us in. We no longer have a distant deity. We no longer have a God that has to be appeased. He's been appeased through Christ. And we now have access to our Father that wants to hear our requests. Now this parable, you have to, you have to look at a few things in the context, in the culture. First thing, midnight is the middle of the night. It's not like here where, you know, I don't know about you guys. Anybody here actually make it to midnight? 
<laughs> I got a few. <laughs> 9.30. Done. <laughs> there, that's the middle of the night. You know, they have no electricity. You're talking gets dark, 5.36. They're in bed, 7.38. You're talking midnight's dead center of the night, right? This guy's shameless, man. He's, I need some bread. And we need to understand that, that the houses in those days, there weren't many rooms. There's usually just one room. So all the kids, all the family, they're sleeping together. So when that knock comes on the door, guess what happens? Everybody gets up. Anybody here have a neighbor come by with a three-year-old? Hey, I need some bread. You going to be okay with that? Ain't going to happen. Well, that's the picture here. This man shamelessly comes to his neighbor. Oops, I forgot to bake some bread. I'm going to go bug him. He comes and barges in. He doesn't have a real emergency. Nobody's dying. Nobody's sick. He wants bread. And then he makes this exorbitant request. He doesn't ask for one loaf, right? The loaves are big. It'll feed a whole family. He asks for three. Three loaves of bread. He just comes in. Dude, give me everything you got in your pantry. I want it all. Right? Here's the point. Jesus is commending this neighbor for his shameless persistence. And he's telling his disciples and us, guys, be like him. Go for it. Be persistent. Pray. Don't stop. Keep knocking. Never give up. Go for it. Pray. Do you get it? Do you see that point? It's pretty plain, right? There's one little caveat here that I just want to throw in. It's not in the text, but I'm going to share it with you. If you're praying for sin, stop. It doesn't matter how much you knock. The Lord will not answer that prayer. He cannot honor something that goes directly against his word. Example, you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, you're sleeping together and you're asking God to bless your relationship. It ain't going to happen. You need to repent. You need to stop. Then go to the Lord. Then he can bless it. So if you're praying for some sinful thing, it ain't going to happen. But if there's something that you're just saying, Lord, I need your help, dude, pray away. He's saying, come to me. I'm a dad. Come on in. I want you to be like this guy. Now, how can we do this? He shows you contrast here. And I want us to look at the contrast because it's pretty interesting. This friend with the bread is contrasted with God. This man is a sinful, frail human being. He needs to sleep. He doesn't like to be disturbed. He, he has limited resources and he puts his own family above this neighbor, right? But here we have God. God never sleeps. He's always ready to hear your request. He has unlimited resources. This man with the bread, he's the imperfect friend. But we have a God that is the perfect, faithful friend. Now, it's difficult for, for us, many of us here, to think of God as a friend, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I don't know about that one. But let me share with you what Jesus said in John 15, 15. Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I've made known to you because of the gospel. Because of what Christ has done, because of God sending his own son into this world, freeing us from the shackles of sin, we suddenly have access to him better than any friend that we have, better than any family member that we know. He wants us to be persistent. Anybody here read about George Mueller? Now, George Mueller lived in the 1800s and he was a prayer warrior. And he kept a prayer journal 
Matter of fact, somebody actually counted all his prayer journals, over 50,000 direct answers to prayer. Okay? This guy was a prayer warrior. But he was also a persistent prayer warrior. In 1844, George Mueller decided to pray for five of his close childhood friends. That's 1844. So he starts to pray every day. I'm going to pray for these guys. Well, the first one came to Christ 18 months later. He thanked God, kept on praying. Five years went by. The second one came to Christ. Thank God, kept on praying. Right? He's praying for three more. Six years passes. The third one comes to Christ. And then he prayed until he died, 54 years nonstop. And the last two did not come to Christ while he was alive. But shortly after, they both came to Christ. That man was a persistent prayer warrior. And this is what God wants us to be. If you have a need, bring it before the Lord. He wants you to persistently come to him with that until you receive an answer. Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Be persistent, guys, in prayer. So we've seen that we should pray with reverence to our Holy Father. We should pray with persistence to our faithful friend. And the last thing we see is we should pray with trust to our caring parent. We need to pray with confidence, knowing that we will receive what's best for us from a God that knows us and loves us doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to receive what we want, but we'll receive what is best. Now, we saw how often we should pray, right? Persistence. Now we're going to look at an attitude of prayer. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Now, suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish and he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Jesus begins here with kind of an absurd question. Actually, a question to two absurd examples of terrible parenting, right? You've got a father who basically their son comes to him and asks for something to eat, a fish. And he says, sure, here's a, here's a scorpion. Or he asks for an egg, I'm sorry, uh, gives him a snake, or, or an egg, and he gives him a scorpion. And here's kind of the picture. When my kids were small, when they were five, if they came to me and said, Hey, Daddy, can I have some lunch? I'm not going to put a rattlesnake in their bag, right? Or if I have my little three-year-old daughter walk out to me and say, Daddy, can I have a fruit snack? I'm not going to put a bunch of black widows in a bag for her. It's absurd. A normal, loving father would never try to harm their child. That's the point. How much more, how much more, more, more is a God who's the perfect loving father? And the question has to come to us, do we see him that way? Do you see God as your father? Can you go to him and trust? Do you trust him? That is the point. How much more can we, us being sinful, So distant from God. Our hearts are black compared to a holy God. But we love our kids. But how much more when we have a God that absolutely adores us? He has blown open the doors of access to Him by giving His own Son. 
How much more can we go to him and say, God, I've got an issue here. I've got a problem. I need your help. And he's saying, come in, son. I want to talk to you. I think the problem is many of us, first of all, don't understand our father that way. But also many of us approach God kind of like spoiled kids. You know what I mean? I want this. I want it my way. I want it in my time. Oh, he doesn't give it to me? I can't believe God. Right? We kind of approach God sometimes with that. I have this issue and he just didn't take care of it the way I wanted to. I just don't understand. What doesn't he do that for me? God can't be loving. How could a loving God, right? We've all heard it. We've probably all been there, right? I used to love going camping with my family. And when we were small, my boys wanted a pocket knife. But they were small. And I always had a pocket knife. Because you never know, you're camping, you always got to use it for something, right? But every year I'd say, sorry guys, I'm not giving you a pocket knife. Why not? Because it hurt them. They were too small. It wasn't until later, until they were ready, then they got the pocket knife. Sometimes we approach God with stuff that is not right. He knows it's not right for us. And you know what? He's not going to give it. And sometimes he doesn't even answer. He's just like, wait. But he knows what's best. Hey, guys, when I was 18, I met a girl. Her name was Gwen. Green eyes, red hair. Wow. That was it. I was head over heels for Gwen. I thought, she is it. It didn't work out. All right. But the Lord knew. Two years later, guess who I met? Karen Miller. Love her. Karen is perfect for me. Perfect. God saw, Gwen's not right, Karen, perfect for Rob Miller. What's weird, 15 years later, I'm sitting in my office, I'm a sales guy. My secretary says, yeah, Rob, there's somebody on the phone by the name of Gwen that wants to talk to you. I mean, I, I literally hadn't talked to her for, for 15 years. And I pick up and say, hey, Gwen, you know what she was calling for? She wanted me to go to Vegas and cheat on my wife. This girl that I thought was it was a scorpion. You guys see it? God knew I didn't. This is the point. We can go to God as a caring parent, knowing that he knows what's best. Just like I knew for my son, you're not getting a knife. God knows what's right for us. But the key, again, the gospel has blown open the doors, guys. And we can go because he is a God that loves us. So we've seen three things. We pray with reverence to a loving father. We pray with persistence to our faithful friend. And we pray with trust to our caring parent. And I want to end with just some practical, you know, application points. Kind of how do we apply this in our prayer life? Because prayer is the one thing the devil does not want you to do. It's so funny. Whenever you're teaching, particularly on prayer, I didn't feel good today, guys, but I feel great right now. <laughs> but I woke up like, man, I'm hammered. Didn't drink anything. Okay. Just didn't feel good. The first thing we need to know is that prayer actually changes things. It actually does. Prayer has an effect. I understand that God is sovereign. I don't understand the mystery of how prayer works, but it does. It is the ordained means that God wants us to use to impact our culture, to impact our life, to impact others. He's telling us persistently pray. Now, anybody here ever seen that movie, Shadowlands? It's about C.S. Lewis. 
You know, and he marries the love of his life. Her name was Joy Davidman. And there's a scene in there. I don't know if you remember it, but right after they're married, there's a bedroom scene where where C.S. Lewis gets down on his knees and he begins to pray. And and his wife goes, what are you doing? She goes, you don't actually think that prayer changes things, do you? And he gets up and has a kind of quizzical look and he says, well, I, I don't think prayer actually changes things, but it changes me. Right? Sounds real spiritual. He's wrong. I love his writings, but that's wrong. Prayer does change things. It has an effect. Why else would Paul the Apostle pray three times to have his affliction taken away? Because he believed prayer matters. It changes things. It can have an effect. Now, did the Lord do that? No. But Paul knew that it could. So that's the first thing. Prayer changes things. Trust it. Second thing. Pray knowing that you desperately need the mercy of God. Back to the gospel. See, the Bible teaches that each of us are sinful. So what do we need because we're sinners? We have a holy God, but he's a God of mercy. We need his mercy. Understand that God is a God of mercy. So what should we do? We should go humbly to him. We need to humble ourselves before God. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 5, 6. He says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Mercy. Remember that God is a God of mercy and he desires you to come to him. I need God's mercy. Prayer changes things. It matters. We need a God of mercy. And the third thing is, understand that our God trusts That he has abundant mercy. Abundant mercy. And now we're coming into the area of trust. If you don't trust God, you cannot be intimate with him. Does that make sense? You can't have intimacy with someone you don't trust. It's like two spies. They can never really be intimate because they never know if they're lying or what. But God can be trusted. He's so trustworthy. The question is, do you? Is maybe this impacting your prayer life? Is this a reason perhaps you're not going to the Father because you're really not sure you can trust Him with your requests? But we need to understand that He has abundant mercy. Over the top, overflowing. He wants us to be persistent. He's going to give you what is best for you, so trust Him. And come to Him in prayer. And I think part of the issue here is faith and belief. Jesus had issues when he went into his hometown. It says he didn't do many miracles because of what? Their unbelief. Matthew 13 tells us, is your unbelief affecting your prayer life? That's the question. The fourth thing is, pray trusting like a little child. We have a daddy in heaven who loves us. And he really, really does. And I could tell my kids when they were small, I I remember telling my three-year-old son, okay, son, I'm in the pool, jump in. Guess what he did? He jumped in. Why? He trusted me. You can trust the Lord. My encouragement to you today, trust him and pray. He wants you to come to him as a father who loves his child. Let's pray. Well, I'm so grateful for this text, Lord. It just showed me a whole new heart, Lord, of how deeply, deeply 
you went to provide us access, direct access to you through prayer. Lord, you've displayed yourself as the perfect, heavenly, loving Father. And we are grateful here as your children. And we come to you today with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I think my heart for a message like this is one, pray, right? We're going to have a fast and prayer coming up here, 24 hour. This is in a couple weeks. I believe it's the 20th is when it starts. Join us. As a church, we're going to be seeking the Lord's desire for us. Why don't you stand with me? I'd like to explain to you this idea of the gospel because there might be someone here that the Lord has brought that doesn't know really what that means. God, by His grace, saw that we're desperate. In the book of Romans, chapter 3, it, it says that there's no one that is good, that there is none that is righteous. It says that literally we are haters of God and we want nothing to do with Him. But God, being who He is, is a God of abundant mercy. And that is exactly why He sent Jesus Christ, His own Son, to this world for us who wanted nothing to do with Him. And He suddenly opened this door for us to have access to Him as a loving Father. Without Christ, He is a distant deity that you must appease, but you'll never be able to. You could never be good enough for a holy God. But with Christ... The doors open wide. And as a loving father, he wants you to come into his kingdom. Is there anyone here today that didn't know that? Because Jesus right now wants you to say yes to him. If you would like to receive Christ, the way to have access to our loving father, the way to have an intimate relationship with him, because he paid all the price. He took all the sin upon himself. You can receive Christ right now. And I'd like us to bow our heads. And if there's anyone here today that would like to receive Christ, you'd like to start this new year knowing that you have a relationship now with God that's right. I want you to pray this prayer. Father, forgive me, for I know that I've sinned. And I know that I've offended you, a holy God. But I thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. I accept him as my savior. I receive him as my Lord. I turn from my sin and I turn to you by faith. And in Jesus name I pray. Amen.